Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Mito Action's podcast, Energy in Action. I'm Kyra Mann, CEO of Mito Action, and I'm your host. Here on Energy in Action, we talk all things Mito, and I'm glad you're here to learn and be part of our community. We are excited to have today with us Krista Price, who is an incredible Mito mom of two children who are warriors dealing with Lay Syndrome. Krista, welcome to Energy in Action. Hi, thanks for having me. So Krista, can you tell us about your children and your journey thus far with mitochondrial disease? Ellie and Henry are two awesome kids. Ellie is eight and Henry just turned six here in June. Ellie started having some issues with her development at four months old is when we noticed it. And she just was delayed in her milestone. Just give us a sense for, as you watched Ellie develop, what were some of the red flags that you saw and the things just as a mom that just didn't feel right that caused you to have concern? She wasn't turning over. She just seemed kind of more tired, kind of more sluggish than normal. Just not like a normal baby. I kind of thought a baby should be more um, active and more um, just not not as chill, I guess is a good word to put for it. She just wasn't acting like she was full of energy. Uh, She was just kind of laid back and I didn't know if it was just personality or if that was something else going on. And so when when you started to have these concerns, what were the steps that you took to try to get some answers and and understand, you know, these feelings that you have, right? Because as a new mom, you don't really know. You're worried about everything. You're not really sure, is, is my baby meeting milestones? Should the baby be doing this? Am I overthinking it? Once you started to have concerns, what were the first steps that you took to try to understand if there really was something going on? And if so, what what that could possibly be? The first thing I did was I called my doctor, her former pediatrician, and he just said that on the next visit, he he would um, look at her, give her once over and see if we needed to have a referral. But he said more than likely it was just like a normal, he said kids develop at different stages, and just to keep doing things like tummy time and just encouraging her to move and just do normal like baby stuff with babies. He said I was probably overreacting as a first time parent. Mm-hmm. He said it's normal to be anxious. And he said that try not to worry about it. Most of the time it's just, you know, kids just develop at their own pace. And he wasn't, he didn't seem too concerned. You know, I kind of, my anxiety kind of just, you know, it, it, that was tapered off for a little while. And then I was like, okay, it's probably just nothing. And then, we ended up just going to the doctor and having him look at her and he just had to keep doing tummy time and she would get better. Yeah. And so at what point did you, did you recognize, okay, this is more than just a child developing at a different rate. There's something wrong here. Well, it took a couple of years and that's kind of embarrassing to say, but you know, with mitochondrial disease, it takes a long time to really get a full diagnosis. So we just kept doing you know, she kind of grew up and then we actually went, I was still working for, um, I was working for the school system and I had a, the, my daycare person actually mentioned doing first steps, which is like a program here in Indiana, which focuses on, you know, getting the kids into therapy and kind of addressing some of those issues. So we got her enrolled in first steps and they said that we should take her to see a specialist somewhere in town and get her checked out. So I went back to Ellie's doctor and I asked him for a referral, which took some aggressive parenting 
if you will. Yeah. And I said, you know, I offered to, I, I offered to buy the guy a ham or a turkey. <laughs> and, you know, cause he said, Oh, everything, he said, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. He said, I really just wish, you know, he said, just let it go. And he said, she's fine. I said, she's five now. Something isn't right. If I'm wrong, I'll buy a ham, buy a turkey. And, you know, I'll, I'll square off with you. But I said, for right now, I said, I just need a referral or, you know, I'm going to have to find a new doctor. So he gave us the referral, but it took a lot of prodding. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's trouble and having to step up and advocate for your child when you, you just know in your heart, something doesn't feel right. And everyone else is telling you, no, it's okay. It's okay. Just be patient. Things will change. But knowing that, okay, it's time to advocate. It's time to push. Talk a little bit about what that experience was like. Like I said, and it all goes back to just kind of like an anxiety thing. And I, I kind of felt like a crazy parent because, you know, when he told me, you know, I wish you wouldn't overreact and that kind of thing with, you know, your kid, you're just a first time parent. I'm really good at my job. Something like inside of me just said, you know, it's no, it's something's off here. So it's kind of frustrating to have a professional tell you that there's nothing wrong with your child when there's something clearly wrong with your child. And, you know, and it's almost like he thought it, I was trying to insult his professionalism as a doctor. Right. But I also felt insulted because I'm like, I haven't been a parent for very long, but, you know, babies break in pretty quick. And when you know something's wrong, you know something's wrong. Right. Well, and mothers have that sixth sense, right? To know. And, and one yeah. of the things we always encourage our, our families is to follow your gut because you know. You know when something doesn't feel right. Um, and so yes. ask questions. And, you know, and you can respectfully ask questions and challenge so that you can get the results that you need or that you can get to the tests or the referrals that you might need so that you can be certain of what's going on with your child. And that's a fair, fair thing to be able to do with the doctor. Absolutely. If you don't do it, then things go undiagnosed for a long time and your kid is, you know, suffers in the process. So it's important to advocate for your child or your children when you think there's a problem. Absolutely. So you get the referral and tell us what happens from there. I got the referral. We go see the specialist. Um, within 30 minutes of seeing this new specialist, she tells me that she suspects that Ellie has cerebral palsy. And so that was encouraging and also frustrating to hear because I'm finally hearing, oh, there's something that's going on. So I kind of knew what cerebral palsy was. She said it wasn't, it looked like a mild case to her, you know, obviously enough to impact her motor function overall. But she said, you know, most of the time it was just, she was concerned about, you know, the hospital maybe making a mistake somewhere during delivery or, you know, something happened or something happened during delivery right. and they missed it or, you know, something like that. So she said, let's do an MRI and check things out. And um, so we attempted to get an MRI done, but it took about eight months to do that. So we did the MRI the next September. Okay. And then can you tell us what type of doctor were you referred to initially? It was a developmental specialist. So she specializes in just the overall development of children. Okay. Interesting. Because it's always interesting to understand kind of the path and, and which physicians, patients, and families are referred to as they're going through that diagnostic odyssey. You finally get the MRI yeah. eight months later. And what did the MRI tell you? We ended up having to do an MRI for both of the kids. And so, yeah. of course. That's a lot. Yeah. Did you think at that point that whatever was going on was the same for both of them? Did you did you ever think that maybe it was all connected? No, um, because Ellie, like I said, was more physically behind in her developmental milestones, just overall, like gross motor, fine motor speech. 
Henry was not exhibiting the same symptoms. He was doing fine with his gross motor skills and his fine motor skills seemed, I mean, they were pretty on point um, as a baby. Okay. So you, you get the, you get MRIs on both kids done. And then what, what did the MRI show you? Um, well, I got a call from the neurologist nurse and there's just a panic sense of urgency. So I got, and this is the height of the, you know, the middle of the pandemic for COVID. So I get a call um, from the neurologist nurse. She says that their doctor needs to see me in their office in person, bring both kids. Like immediately. Okay. Something's going on. Yeah. Like they wouldn't even tell me what was going on or yeah. they just said there were some abnormalities. I needed, they needed to talk to us right away. So we went to the neurologist and she sits me down and my husband couldn't come at the time because like I said, there was a COVID. So there's restrictions. And so right. I had to call my husband in the office over FaceTime. And that's when we had the chat with the doctor about what was going on with him. And so what were the results that, that the doctor delivered to you on that day? So she said the mitochondrial area of both Ellie and Henry's brains were damaged and she didn't know if it was due to lack of oxygen in the brain at some point during development or she highly suspected just them having lay syndrome overall. Did the kids end up having genetic testing or they gave you the diagnosis just based on the MRI? They gave us that diagnosis just based on the MRI. That's what she suspected. She she was mm -hmm. about 90, I would say about 95% confident in her diagnosis. She said that she that we needed to get genetic testing done, but first we needed to find the, a specialist for mitochondrial disease because she wanted to get it confirmed before we had genetic testing done because she said it's important to just have all of our bases covered. So right. that's when she referred us out to Cleveland Clinic. Okay. Truly, I have to tell you, your diagnostic journey is not one that a lot of families face, right? We, we do see more in children that they tend to get diagnosed much quicker, right? Because you can see them just like you had. Milestones weren't being met. There were developmental delays, things like that. But to have, to have that neurologist have the wherewithal to say, I think this could be Mito. We need to get you to a specialist. Look, that's huge. Yeah. So I came into the appointment thinking, oh, we finally have an answer and we have everything figured out. And the doctor, you know, hey, it's lay syndrome. We can fix this. It's a problem that we can fix. And then the next thing she's telling me is that it's a possibly terminal disease for children. And so I went, I mean, it just went from zero to 60 really yeah. fast on having to get help. Exactly. And so, but, but that neurologist was good at guiding you to what the next steps needs to be. It wasn't like, okay, we've got, you've got this thing. I don't know what it is and I don't know what to do. She gave you a plan of where to go next and how to, how to try to, to solve, you know, to get into solution mode, right? And take action. Yes. And I was so encouraged with that because before, like I said, even getting referral to the developmental specialist was a headache and a half. Having her move so quickly and with an urgency was a breath of fresh air. Right. So I, I appreciated that. So you end up getting referred to a mito specialist at Cleveland Clinic. And then what was the process when she got there? Well, I actually faxed his office. Um, initially, when I called the office there at Cleveland Clinic, the nurse for his office wasn't even sure if we could get the kids in or if he was too busy or something like that. So I actually ended up faxing the both of the kids' information, like all the testing and stuff, 
that I had with me to their office. And so I called their office and I said, hi, my name is Krista Price. I just wanted to know if you guys got my facts. And the lady over the phone was like, you sent the, the huge pile we were wondering. I said, oh yeah, that's, those are my, that's my kid's file. That's my, that's all their stuff. Can you just take that back to his office? And I just want to know if he's intrigued. I said, I've got two kids. I said, I came this far to get answers. I'm not stopping until I have like a solution or a plan for something. I just, I, said, I just need a plan of some kind. Right. So were they able to get you in? What was the resolution there? Yes. Within two hours after I initially called and after they got the faxed information, he, his nurse called me back personally and she said, hi, he wants to see your kids. He's clearing his schedule. The soonest he can get you in is December 3rd. How long did you have to wait from that initial phone call till you actually saw the doctor? Uh, about a month. Which is, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. Tell us what that month was like as you, you've now been given this diagnosis that I'm sure was so incredibly scary for you and your family. What was that month like waiting to get in to see the mito specialist? I would say as a, as a parent, that was probably the worst month of my life. I mm -hmm. think I cried about two hours every day because, of course, after I found out at the neurologist what they had, I start, I did what all parents should not do is I Googled it. And right. on Google, it just gives you, you know, your kids are going to die before they right. turn 10 years old. It doesn't give you, you know, an in-depth look at what your kids are doing for real. But, you know, when you, when you see that they're not possibly not going to do well, I've wanted to be a mom since I was four years old. And for that month, I thought the kids that I had just worked so hard and get in given birth to and that I had prayed for and wanted so much, I thought that they were going to be taken away from. Me. I was devastated. Share with us a little bit about how much you shared with the kids once you learned about their diagnosis and the decisions that you made to share information or to not share and, and kind of why you made those decisions. So we told them what they had. So we didn't want to not tell them that we had an answer for the test because we believe in be, it's important to be truthful with your kids but we also thought it was important to not give them too much information to freak them out because right. we ourselves already at that point were terrified and we didn't want to do the same thing with our kids so we told them that they had something called lay syndrome but we told them that we needed to go see or we needed to talk to another doctor to figure out some more information before we really knew what was going. So right. I just said we had another doctor visit to do, and then we would know more, and that mommy and daddy would know more. Exactly. And so you finally get in to see the specialist, and they confirm that the kids indeed do have Lay syndrome. Yes. What was the game plan? What was your plan of action at that point? He just said that we needed to get in as soon as possible for like a physical visit. Uh, we did a virtual visit with him the first time. So on December 3rd, December 3rd was Ellie's appointment. And then December 10th was Henry's. He said that we needed to come in for, to have them be physically evaluated by him, his team and go from there. But he did, he did tell us from the virtual appointments that the kids did not have a genetic variant that was lethal. Told us that he didn't think that there was a reason to freak out. He said he thought that we had, in his eyes of what he does, had kind of lucked out in the Lay syndrome 
mitochondrial lottery. Mm-hmm. He just said that they needed to be evaluated so we could kind of have a plan. But he said the first thing that he was going to do in the meantime was to get them on what's known as, as for most mitochondrial um, families as a mitococktail. So just a vitamin supplementation that's been compounded for their bodies to create energy. The mitochondrial specialist said within four weeks, he said we would see a difference overall with their energy levels. He said if it was going to work. He said with most kids with Lay's syndrome, they respond well to the mitococktail. He said, he said it just depended on each kid and each kid is different. So he said, but within four weeks, we would know. Within four weeks, we had two completely different children than we had yeah. the month prior. They responded very well. I had never had energized kids before. I was like, oh, okay, this is what having kids is like. So like from birth to age seven for Ellie and from like birth to age four or five for Henry, we just thought we had really laid back children. And once the kids started the vitamins to create energy for their bodies, we had a whole different understanding of what it meant to have energetic kids and we were tired. That's exciting. You you get the kids on the mitococktail. And so now let's fa- fast forward. You know, that was at the beginning of COVID. How are the kids yeah. doing today? The kids are actually doing really, really well. Um, we just had a follow-up appointment at Cleveland Clinic in June and they are progressing versus regressing. The mitochondrial specialist is mind blown and very happy about where they're at. He said he doesn't say progressing very often and he's just overall happy with their health we still have to deal with you know the eye turns because with lay syndrome and just with mitochondrial disease in general it can cause like some defects of like some important organs like heart and like with ellie and henry ellie has a heart defect that's called wpw it's called wolf parkinson white syndrome so we have to deal with that still. We have to deal with the eye turns that they both have, um, and that affects their vision. But it's all maintenance from here on out. It's still just maintenance. We're just living right. in day-to-day life and um, taking care of them as we go. We actually have to talk about Ellie doing heart surgery here to eliminate the WPW permanently here within the next year, less than a year probably. Right. What a blessing because, like you said, so many children that are diagnosed with Lay syndrome aren't as fortunate, right? And they really struggle. And as the doctor said, they regress and decline. And so it's really, really exciting to hear how well your children are doing, that they've responded to the mitococktail and that things are going really, really well because so many families with Lay syndrome are, you know, they have, they have a different story. And so it's really, really good. Can you talk a little bit about now that, that the kids have been through this for a year or two years, how are they handling it in terms of having a rare disease and, you know, telling their friends and how, how do they handle it as children? They're very resilient. I don't think they like talking about it yet. I, it's not, I don't talk about it much with anybody else, really. It's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's kind of a, like, it's kind of a downer and it's, it's a lot for your own immediate family members in your family to hear about it and to, you know, oh, you know, your grandkids are sick, that kind of thing. But to talk about other people about what's going on with them is, is a lot. So Ellie and Henry don't really talk about, like, if someone asks them what they have, or if they notice, you know, like, if Ellie is out in public, and she can't turn on the water in the bathroom, or she can't open a door handle, or something. And if someone happens to notice, and they say, hey, why are you having trouble with that? Ellie will tell them that, you know, 
she has Lake syndrome, but then it just opens up, you know, for another right. whole other conversation. I think out of the two kids, Ellie is, is the one who is more aware of her disease, especially with school. Kids are nice, but they're all kids can also be jerks. And, right. you know, Ellie has become more aware of the physical limitations that her body does have. And seeing her struggle with that has been extremely difficult. And we've had a couple incidences where she's come home from school and she looks pretty unhappy. And I've asked her several times, you know, hey, what's going on? What happened at school today? And she'll come home and she'll say, well, someone said I couldn't play soccer with them because I'm too slow and I can't kick the ball yeah. and run at the same time. So, so I'm helping her navigate hurt feelings, but she's also has made the comment, I mean, I, I, I wish I wasn't like this. I wish I wasn't sick. Yeah. And I wish my friends understood. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard balance as a parent to, to help them have the confidence, um, especially on those days when kids aren't so kind and that, and yeah. that's tough to navigate, to help her manage those events. Has the school been supportive? I would say the school overall has been supportive. They love both um, Ellie and Henry very, very much. Henry and Ellie actually are actually going to be at the same school for the first time this coming school year. Um, Henry was at a developmental preschool last year, but both schools that we dealt with last year really love our kids. They love them. They know what kind of support that they need and they're willing to help them out with whatever that they need. So we've, we've got a lot of support. We've got a lot of people rooting for the kids and keeping an eye on them at school. That's wonderful. You've got a village that's, that's there to support them and support you and your husband. Now having gone through this, and this is, this is all fairly new to you, right? Getting this diagnosis from yeah. COVID and, and managing the kids taking new meds and responding. Now going back and looking looking back at the situation and knowing what you know now, what would be the piece of advice you would give to a parent who's starting on this journey or who may be just sitting back feeling like, oh, there's something just not right with my child? I would just say to you know the, the parent out there, you know your child better than anybody else on the planet. And I don't care if you don't have a PhD or a doctorate, I have some college experience, but I don't have a degree from college. And I, I, it doesn't matter what kind of level of education that you have. If you think for even a millisecond, if there is something wrong with your child, if you think there is something off or something needs to be addressed with the doctor, go do it. I don't care if it's going to feel weird challenging a doctor but you have to do it because if you don't your kids are gonna be dealing with something or maybe not dealing with something but even if it's something small your child is dealing with it and it needs to be addressed and you know but like with me with my kids if I wouldn't have spoken up when I did I don't know where we would be right now I don't yeah. we wouldn't have we certainly wouldn't have the help and maybe the kids would have regressed a little bit and not be doing as well as they're doing right now so I would just say speak up and don't be afraid to in this day and age with you know your voice being so promoted in the media use your voice you have one you can use one they're your kids you brought them here you're taking care of them speak up yeah, absolutely. And tell us, Krista, I, I mean, one of the things that is so impressive to me, you're such a strong voice for your kids. And I can't even, I mean, like you said, word, you can't put into words the struggle of, of hearing those words that 
your child has this rare disease. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't really understand it. Can you share with us a little bit about, you know, as mom, as the primary caregiver, how do you find balance and how do you get through day to day? Because as a mom, right, you're, you're dealing with the challenge of watching your child struggle. And, um, and so you have to find some balance as a mom to care for your kids and also care for yourself as you're going through this as well. I think the, the most important thing that you should do for yourself, because the thing that I'm learning as I'm watching my kids struggle with lay syndrome and just their overall health you got to take care of your mental health I have checkups every six months and I actually had one just recently and I'm back on a new antidepressant for my mental health I get depressed very easily I have high anxiety I have PTSD from dealing with unknown situations with these kids right and you have to take care of yourself as far as your mental health is concerned, go and get yourself checked out. If you feel like you're having issues with anxiety or depression, that would be the first thing that I would do. And then uh, some of the things that I do, I find comic relief. I think humor is so good to have in your life when you're dealing with something that you don't know about or you don't understand quite well enough yet. I watch a lot of YouTube videos. I watch a lot of, I just get comic relief. Anywhere you can find anything that amuse you just watch it that's what I would do and then just educate yourself the more that you know about your child's condition I don't care what it is if it's cancer or if it's a mitochondrial disease or the flu anything just educate yourself and just find ways to cope with it but also I this is this might sound taboo or this is something that's not talked about but also when you're dealing with a situation that's hard, it's also really important to feel the hard feelings. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel guilty to a certain extent. That's something that I struggle with on a daily basis. And I don't know how much my husband struggles with it because we don't talk about it super often. But the number one feeling that I think that I struggle with when it comes to the kids and the feeling that I struggle with the most and probably one of the reasons why I have to have a mental health check once in a while is I feel really guilty about the kids, the health, because I had an auto recessive copy of a mutated gene and my husband had the other half on the opposite side. And when we both mutually wanted to have kids, you know, and we made our kids, it made a kid that was sick and yeah, it's a perfect storm. It's a per it was just a happened to be a perfect storm that we like we knew we wanted to have kids, but we were, that's not what we were expecting. When like sure. when we were growing up, we were not expecting to have sick kids. And so the guilt is very real there. And so I would just encourage you like don't don't spend too much time on it, but also allow yourself to feel that way because it's normal to feel guilty about something that's out of your control and something like I know in my mind that I shouldn't feel guilty and I didn't intentionally make Ellie and Henry sick but I also know that we made them sick that's just how it happened that's just the deck of cards that we got dealt and we wouldn't change that for anything and we're very glad that they're here and they are so compassionate and they're so kind and they're amazing individuals but it is really hard to look at your child every day and see them struggle with basic things and to not feel that. And I have so many people telling me, you know, you shouldn't feel guilty. You know, you didn't do 
do that to your kid. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't on purpose. And I said, I know, but I still feel really guilty and I need, I need to be allowed to feel that. Right, because right. I, that's just my way of coping. That's just my way of coping with it. Yeah. And I think what you said is really important to allow yourself to feel the feelings, this, the fear, the anger, the, the guilt, the, you know, all of that, but don't get stuck there. You yeah. have to find ways to move, move past it and move beyond it um, so that you can be there to, to be the best caregivers and advocate for your kids as you possibly can be. Some days that's tough. Absolutely. Very tough. It's, that's tough. Well, Krista, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey with Lay Syndrome and your two beautiful children's story with us. We look forward to staying in touch and hearing how Ellie and Henry are progressing. And we're also really excited to have you get more involved with Mito Action and our volunteerisms. And so you'll be hearing more from Krista in the coming months about what we've been working on together and the ways that you can get involved. And, you know, what I always say is turning that pain into power, right? It doesn't have to all be a negative thing, a, a bad thing. And Krista has made the decision to take what she's going through with her family and, and support and help other other families and to take an active role in supporting the community. And so we'll look forward to sharing more information about the new programs that we have coming out in the next couple of months. But thank you so much, Krista, for being here. We wish you all the best. Hugs and love to your babies. And again, we look forward to hearing more about them soon. Thank you very much. And we appreciate everything that Mito Action does to raise awareness for the mitochondrial community because there's not enough information about it. And the more awareness we get out, into this world about what's going on with our kids and our adult friends out there that have mitochondrial disease, the better off everyone will be. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll hear more and more stories, Krista, about how quickly people are being diagnosed just like your family was, because that's the, the inner goal. The more that the doctors are aware, the more they understand better what it possibly could be and not dismissing symptoms and families that are struggling and taking it seriously and saying, yes, this could be mitochondrial disease and we need to get you here so we can get the answers that you need so we can come up with an action plan. So we're hoping we're hearing more and more stories like that. And these, our, our family's diagnostics journeys are shortened like your, your absolutely. Was. So thank you so much, Krista. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Energy in Action. Remember to give us a five-star rating on your listening app. This helps to boost us up the charts and makes it easier for others to find us. You can find all of the links and details that we share today in the show notes or at mitoaction.org. Have a great day, and we look forward to having you join us next time.